just get right down to business. The Joe Roberts Show. This, this is The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. On today's show, we have Oliver Gale, the CEO of Panther Protocol. Panther is a privacy protocol that connects blockchains to restore privacy in Web3 and DeFi and provides financial institutions a clear path to compliantly participate in digital asset markets. Oliver, thanks for joining us today. Why don't you break down for the audience a little bit about yourself and what was the purpose of starting Panther Protocol? Thanks, Joe. I'm Oliver. I'm from Barbados, co-founder, CEO of Panther. Panther started in the summer of 2020 with Dr. Anish Mohammed and myself. He is the other co-founder and CTO of the project. And Anish struck me as somebody who really understood crypto economic designer, had a lot of experience. I was working on a zero knowledge prime brokerage play and Anish and I shared what I discovered to be a lot of interest in the zero knowledge space. So we started looking at, you know, this question of, well, what's the opportunity if we were to build a zero knowledge prime brokerage, you know, what does that look like versus what if we were to build infrastructure, which would support that type of use case. And that was the genesis of Panther was this idea of, well, what if we build a privacy centric protocol that allows retail users and institutions to have true privacy and interact with Web3 and do that in a multi-chain fashion and do it without introducing extra risks, such as like synthetic assets and so forth. So as we were ideating through what Panther could be, a massive opportunity of private digital cash came up. And so my background is really in the Web3 payment space. I co-founded Bit.com, which was the first central bank digital currency company. We built the first protocol and have about 80% of the market share for that now. And so like two things, one is I'm very interested in monetary systems and how to sort of create the tools that intersect with regulators and compliance and also unstoppable freedom centric rights of the individual that sort of counterbalancing of forces to create a, a better, safer world. So the idea of being able to take an asset and wrap it as what we call a zero asset, which is one-to-one -one collateralized. And then that zero asset has the properties of privacy imbued within it and can be used across various blockchains and Web3 generally is a powerful one. And it captured our imaginations and we thought it would be worth our time to begin building it. So from then to now, we've come a long way and we're close to actually releasing V1 of Panther Core. Nice. And so what do you guys come into? What is the initial thing that you guys are focusing on solving in the first version? Yeah, so we're deploying something called a multi-asset shielded pool. What it does is it allows a user, we're deploying it on Polygon first, so that's the MVP. Users can take their tokens, bridge them from Ethereum over to Polygon, wrap them within the Panther protocol as the assets. So if you took, for example, ETH or MATIC, you would have ZETH or ZMATIC. That would sit within the shielded pool and users within the shielded pool can transact with each other privately. They can engage in basic swaps between one another inside the shielded pool, benefiting from privacy throughout that transaction. The reason it's called a multi-asset shielded pool is because unlike other 
shielded pool implementations and tornado cash would be an example of one. The multi-asset shielded pool allows you to have privacy for multiple different asset types. So generally, when you're using a shielded pool, you need to have a sufficiently large anonymity set to provide a reasonable level of privacy. What our brilliant team has figured out how to do is allow one asset type to provide privacy towards another asset type. So if I have, say, a thousand ETH in a pool, and then I have one DAI, under normal circumstances, the DAI holder is not really benefiting from much privacy because there's only one DAI in the pool. The anonymity set's not large enough. Panthers multi-asset shielded pools allow the liquidity of the ETH also to provide privacy to the DAI and vice versa. And so we see that as being something that will provide privacy across the long tail of assets in the blockchain universe. And so that's V1. And it will also support a basic version of ZK Reveals, which is the ability for a user who's been within the Panther Shielded Pools to say, hey, I want to pay my taxes or I want to go through a compliance check or I want to prove something to some other third party and they can so voluntarily disclose their information using Panther, which is very important when you're thinking about institutional integrations. How do you get enterprises to integrate privacy into the user experience so that hosted wallets, for example, can access Web3 and DeFi and still have privacy and still be able to maintain their licenses? So a lot of conversation around institutions is definitely around KYC, AML aspect. You know, when they join a shielded pool with other, we'll call them other investors that are looking to trade their assets, how does that take into effect or you know how does the institutions come into a shield of pool yeah there's a great question and we thought about it there's two ways to view it and it really comes down to the regulator and the institution and their risk appetite and what the regime is so in the universe number one we end up in an end state where you've got extremely liquid highly efficient fully permissionless DeFi protocols like uniswap and Ave and so forth, right? And these protocols have become so ubiquitous, so well decentralized, so liquid and efficient that institutions and regulators and enterprises say, listen, it's a protocol, it's highly effective. We are going to regulate the on and off ramps to the protocol, but the liquidity within it is a common good, if you will and will utilize the common good of the liquidity and the traders. And whilst we may not know all the counterparties to the transactions, what we'll do is we'll enforce KYC source of funds checks for the customer that we are interacting with. So I may go into a shielded pool and be transacting with thousands of other participants and their liquidity sources are unknown. When I exit the shielded pool because I want to, say, use my Z assets to swipe a Visa card, and that requires compliance checks, those checks are done at the off-ramp. And so that's universe number one. And I think in the longer term, that's the likely universe because I, there's a lot of precedent and a lot of logic to not trying to regulate the protocol, regulate the actors. And I've done a lot of work in the regulatory space as well, advising governments and legislators and drafting legislation. And so 
the logic I follow has been proven right a few times before. So I, th- I think it's likely, but that's, that might not be in the next three years. And we got to be more immediately focused. So the other universe is, and if you look at other protocols and you know Avalanche is working on their subnets and Nair has their own version of this as well, where essentially you're creating whitelisted pools where institutions can come in and all of the liquidity is known between the actors because there's a gatekeeping function, so to speak. In that universe, Panther facilitates the creation of a whitelisted dark pool, if you will. And that is effectively what we are building for institutions is this multi-chain institutional dark pool where they can route transactions and engage in interactions and trades between only known parties, use zero knowledge proofs to reveal some subset of information, maybe all of it, maybe part of it. Maybe I just need to prove that I've adhered to the travel rule and it's not necessary to fulfill total disclosure. So Panther is flexible in that way. Multi-asset shielded pools can be deployed, not only, you know, whitelisted or fully accessible, but also pools on different chains so that each blockchain ecosystem can have the benefit of this composable privacy-centric building block. All right, for everyone tuning in and listening here, maybe break down simple terms, some different ways in which there's benefits to joining these shielded pools that people might not even be thinking about. Yeah, so I mean, the at the core, like if you're just going from what principles do you adhere to is I don't want to be surveyed. I don't, I want my data and my information to be mine unless I have good reason to share it with someone else. There's a lot of value which corporations today in web to extract from users and they make trillions collectively off of user data and it creates a huge asymmetry in our societies and really and truly that data should belong to the individual does belong to the individual actually and the user should be able to control how it's used whether it's commercially used or given away or kept so from the first principles of what values are important for our society as we spend more and more time attached to digital economies, to our phone, to the metaverse in whatever form you're using it. This is, it's a huge issue. It's an existential issue centered around freedom. So, you know, there's good reason to make your transactions private on the basis of, I want to live in a fair, free world. Getting more specifically into it, alpha preservation is a major use case for using privacy tools. You might be a retail trader or you might be an institution. If you're transacting across the blockchain ecosystem, your portfolio construction, the timing of your transactions, your counterparties, that reveals a lot of information about you and it undermines and erodes your competitive edge. So we view the shielded pool as like, it's a 101 requirement. If you're an institution and you're looking at the yields in DeFi and the growth and the opportunity in DeFi, you know, in the same way that compliance is a must-tick checkbox when it comes to institutions getting into DeFi, once you go past the risk, when you get to the commercial and strategic secret sauce component of your business, protecting your IP, protecting your alpha is another must-tick checkbox. So those are like the two major use cases for this. Panther also facilitates private NFTs. So 
there's also a safety component to this. If you're, for example, a large collector of digital art, there are services like Nansen. We use, I mean, we use the service ourselves over at the fun side of my portfolio. And we check, you know, whale watching. It's like, it's a whole business sector right now, right? And so your NFT becomes like a meta digital ID and it ties you to your wallets and your transactions. So that comes back to the alpha preservation, but also art collectors tend to be, especially if it's expensive art, tend to be pretty sensitive about who knows who they are. And that's not necessarily about alpha preservation. That's just about, again, when I'm at home, I like to draw my curtains at night. Or maybe you don't, but the point is a house without curtains might be an uncomfortable living experience. And so privacy is an option. How do you actually manage to connect to these different blockchains to make all this data private and kind of explain that process? So the connection piece happens through private bridges. So if you think of the protocol design, one version of the ZK you know, ZK-driven private DeFi is to create a zero-knowledge VM, which is a pretty popular implementation in the competitive landscape where protocols like Alio, for example, are building private virtual machines and saying, hey, you know, you can have privacy, just build and deploy your smart contracts over here and then migrate your liquidity over here as well. And so our approach is is different to that. We think the network effects of existing L1s and to a lesser degree L2s are pretty strong and they're unlikely to be overcome. And so we're inserting Panther through multi-asset shielded pools into these ecosystems to say, here's an extra building block. You know, you can route your transactions through Panther and then engage with Uniswap transactions and have privacy within the Ethereum ecosystem or within the near ecosystem, you can do the same thing. So the the shielded pools are sort of discussed and then the shielded pools will be bridged together across chains. So you go from like in the final state, you go from multi-asset shielded pool across a private bridge to another multi-asset shielded pool. And our vision is to create an interchain private DEX at the heart of that to enable this private routing and swapping and transacting across the different blockchain ecosystems and ultimately the application layer will sort of all that will be abstracted away and in the settings page for say your metamask you'll have a toggle to enable private transactions and in the back end the multi-asset shielded pools and the bridges are doing all the routing got it and so then i guess what's going to how that correlates then with the z assets right and the swap and the security of the bridges. Yeah, so on the Z assets component, the Z asset is one-to-one collateralized and held on chain. So there's no, it's not like an over-collateralized synthetic instrument. We're actually taking the underlying securing it in a vault, minting a Z asset, which is equivalent to that. And then you utilize that within your shielded pool or across the bridges. And so, that design decision was made for the simple reason that if the good or the service that's being offered is privacy, then in all other characteristics, the instrument should be as close to as possible the original asset. So there's no like volatility risk, if you will, of your Z assets being unpegged. 
So the risk then of the Z asset becomes the security of the vault when it's held on a chain and transacted on chain. And that is basically a function of the security, cybersecurity audit. So if you're an investor or you're a user, USS or who's audited the Panther multi-asset shielded pools, how much TVL is in these vaults, and then USS, the utility that the pool provides. So not only does it provide private transactions, but there's something called privacy staking, which is the very act of minting as the asset and putting assets into the pool. So the shielded pools will be connected and bridged over, assets will be bridged over. Security obviously is a key topic when it comes to bridges. Panther bridges are private. They'll be the first private bridges in DeFi. So we see that as being you know, something very exciting. We have about six L1 partnerships and discussions with an equivalent number of L1, L2s about forming additional bridges. The security question is still an open research question. We've just hired two more architects for the team. So decisions have to be made. Are we going to utilize our own L1 or L2 chain to deliver the, the bridging solution? That's an open question. Are we going to use bonded CKP assets as collateral to secure the bridges? This is another open question. After, so sort of that research question is scheduled to really be taken apart and put back together in Q3 after we deploy the multi-asset shielded pool V1, which is going to be June, July, the advanced staking test nets on May the 10th. So, you know, it's a pretty tight roadmap. I would say whilst we haven't definitively come up with a position on the matter, ZKP being bonded to secure both sides of the bridge would be an efficient solution and would drive a lot of value to Panther protocol. And so I think that it's a more likely than not mechanism for securing the bridge that we will use. How do you guys ultimately bring on a lot of users or draw in the institutions, right? I mean, obviously there's a lot of people building a lot of different products out there. There needs to be some type of trust in the system. How do you guys see, I guess, your kind of like go-to-market strategy and how do you bring on clients in the next few years and retain them? Yeah, I think it's a great question. Bottom up, top down is typically the approach for Web3 protocols, especially if you're targeting institutions. So we have a few institutions already one major Wall Street institution, two telecoms who we've had very good discussions with around providing things which extend beyond the shielded pool as well. Because I haven't spoken much about it, but ZK Reveals are in and of itself a service that we see a lot of demand for, essentially offering proof of verifier use cases for DAOs. We have DAOs that, that want to use ZK Reveals institutions that want to use ZK reveals for private authentication. So the use cases can be like credit scoring, tax payments, compliance disclosures, authentication, private authentication. And that mechanism was built originally for the compliance puzzle, Panther solving, how do you offer privacy and how do you offer compliance? And, you know, privacy can't have a backdoor, that's not privacy. So how do you deliver unstoppable privacy, but also create something that an institution can like say, oh, well, actually this checks all the boxes and there's a service here and I'm completely comfortable 
with utilizing this protocol. And you know, institutional sales pitches take time. They definitely take a lot of time in this space, right? At least for now. Maybe in a few years, it'll be a lot easier, but it's definitely taking time across the board. Only four years to get the first central bank to issue a central bank digital currency. And so I, institutions will take time, lots of great conversations ongoing. What does an institution want to see more so than anything else? They want to see that they're not the first person to dip their toe into the pool, if you will. So they're going to want to see validation of both the privacy and the compliance and the use case, and they're going to want to see growth. So whilst we're advancing the institutional discussions at the same time, we're really focused on how do we make the user experience as seamless as possible? How do we incentivize and bootstrap the protocol with the correct rewards incentives? What is the community asking for? And our community is very active and they're a great community, very much full of great ideas. And we take feedback and have grown the team through that community. A lot of activity on Telegram and Discord, pretty big Twitter following as well. So it's really focusing on those areas of user experience. And then really the shielded pools have a unique audience, that multi-asset component really applies to the long tail of cryptocurrencies. And so users that want privacy for more exotic assets can use Panther for that. And that's the only option that they have at this moment in time. When we establish bridges, the bridges are being built between protocols with TVL and it's a private bridge. And so that becomes the only option for privately routing transaction A to, you know, from chain A to chain B. So that's another area where you've got Panther providing service in an un, unserved, not underserved, completely unserved market segment. So we're looking at these two areas and saying, this is how we'll bootstrap growth. And concurrently, our team is advancing the institutional discussions. I guess we might as well roll into how you guys are structured and the team that is driving the success of the project and how you guys are uh, kind of executing that roadmap? So we're structured out of Gibraltar right now. Panther Foundation is in Gibraltar. Panther Ventures is the development arm of the project. That's where everyone is contracted and building the protocol. We received a grant from the protocol to build it and raised funds, raised 32 million in 2021 to build the protocol over the next few years. So we're adequately funded. The team is about 40 people. I mentioned at the start of the call, I'm CEO, co-founder, Anish is CTO and co-founder. So he's generally in charge of the tech side of the business. We both have input on the product side. Product is sort of a cross-functional unit between marketing, biz dev, tech. And of course, everything's informed by legal and the landscape on the regulatory perspective, which is very important for what we're building. Our team is about, might be more than 50% technical at this point in time, but we generally aim to keep our burn sort of centered, heavily focused on the technology and the product side of the business and how we execute. I mean, agile methodology, at this stage we're releasing in shorter phases, so it's very much, again, like where they're deploying in onto blockchains is not quite the same thing as 
deploying onto immutable, immutable smart contracts, or even mutable ones where you're offering financial services and have signing keys. These things, like that trade-off of decentralization, throws a lot of challenge into the works. And Panther has been fully decentralized from day one. Like even our launch, we built a protocol to launch Panther because we didn't want to be the ones that are acting as the central launcher of the protocol. So launch DAO was a proof of concept for ZK reveals where all of our KYC investors, of which we have over 3,500, were given a token called pre-ZKP, which enabled them to vote on whether or not Panther protocol should be launched. And then they were rewarded for the vote. So Panther was launched by LaunchDAO. And so when it comes to upgrading the protocol, there's a proposal submission onto forums as with other DAOs, and then it's voted on. So far, our voting has been heavily skewed in favor of the proposals that our team have released, so like 95 plus percent, and very high voting turnout as well. So when we make amendments to rewards pools or launch new features or correct bugs or et cetera. All of that's done through this decentralized process. And, and it's, it's quite a lockstep process because we have to consider what the foundation is, what the legal situation is for us as a team, then what the DAO's you know, role is and so forth. And, but within that, we're still deploying at this rate since we deployed the ZKP token and basic staking in February. We bridged over to Polygon with basic, like a, a non-private bridge, but we bridged over to, to Polygon in March. We're going to be launching the multi-asset shielded pools in June, July. Advanced staking testnet starts in May. So like there's a regular cadence of, of delivery for the protocol. Are you glad the way you guys rolled out and launched? Like you would recommend doing that again for another project? Or is there anything that would you would change? I mean, you can do it cowboy style if you want, but I don't recommend cowboy style when it comes to longevity and security and safety. And we're looking at the long game. So it's pretty challenging. First of all, the privacy space is challenging. DeFi is challenging. So being a builder in this space, like a lot of protocols are happy-go-lucky where we don't take that approach. Like we really do look at FATF guidance and regulatory landscapes and really take a position of respect for and respect with regulators engaging dialogue and discussion. And it slows things down a little bit, but it also gives you the longevity. It positions you well for the bigger play. And the bigger play is how do we get every man, woman, and child into Web3? And how do we give every one of those persons the ability to have their rights to privacy respected and, and honored and give them the tools that they would want and deserve. And so, you know, as an example, we partnered with the World Ethical Data Forum and our council foundation has uh, the founder of that institution sitting as a council member. We've had discussions within various sort of working groups around the UK government, around kicking off projects there and so forth so it's not something where we're not a shadowy team we're very much from day one we're like look privacy is important it's valuable we're delivering it compliance is important there's a way that these things 
have to coexist if you're going to swipe a credit card or connect a bank account to DeFi, essentially. And that that is happening, that will happen. And so I would say, yeah, absolutely. I recommend getting your lawyers and understanding the landscape and building something from the perspective of this will be regulated. What's going to make sense? How do I become part of the conversation and not react and be sort of the recipient of someone else's perhaps uninformed judgment? Do you think there's going to be two sides here in the future where it's just going to be kind of like, we'll call it the unregulated markets and then the regulated markets and different protocols will handle different sides? Totally. Like It's a cool story that a colleague of mine in the space put me onto recently, but in 1992, well, up until 1992, strong cryptography in the US was considered a munition and illegal to export. And that was because of the importance that cryptography played, particularly post-war, like World War II in assisting the allies in, in winning the war. And so cryptography has been a huge area of research at the national defense level amongst multiple governments across the world. So in the early 90s, things like SSL encryption were extremely high on the like red list and agenda of organizations like the FBI for the fact that they considered this type of encryption to be a way for people to use the internet privately. To make that long story short, SSL encryption, strong encryption was open source. The internet allowed it to proliferate. It became a standard internationally and just became widely adopted. Not only that, it was recognized that being able to protect things like transactions and transaction data was not only good for commerce, but it was necessary. And so when you are transacting or say checking out on a website today, you use SSL encryption. When you go to almost any website, it has the lockbox in the corner. SSL encryption is a standard. When you go to a website and it doesn't have that in place, you get a warning, you know, go back to safety. So, you know, like you combine, and this is the whole cypherpunk movement, but you combine privacy technologies with the internet and its ability to proliferate and people use these technologies to protect themselves and to protect their communities and the position of your regulators and your authorities shifts because they recognize two things one unstoppable forces can't be stopped and two privacy is in everyone's best interest and so you establish new standards which improve people's rights and I would say standard of living as a Web3 citizen. And then from there, the question then is, okay, who are the actors? So this whole thing of technology being put on trial is one, you can't put Pandora back in the box, not going to work. And two, it's nonsensical, like deal with the actors, right? Who is using privacy technology nefariously? Go for them, but don't stop people from having access to DeFi and access to, to privacy technologies. So I think there, of course, there'll be both worlds and the net benefit and response. Like if you're offering a regulated financial service, for example, and I have two options, one is to use DeFi and privacy and go through some complicated clicks and processes to access services without being monitored. And the other is to use a regulated financial service, which is fast, affordable, safe, and essentially bakes in the back-end infrastructure of DeFi. 
that's what people will use. It's not rocket science. People like convenience and service. But what, what these two forces do is DeFi and Web3 forces the conversation, forces competition, forces the regulated entities to become less restrictive, to reduce their barriers, to reduce their costs, to gouge prices less. And the net result is that as a consumer, you have a better experience and better financial inclusion and better access. So I think the revolution is one that looks remarkably similar to what it is like today when all is said and done on the front end. But on the back end, all of these transactions and data will be routed far more efficiently and the market will have an opportunity to say, thanks, I see your service, but it's too expensive. I'm just going to send that Bitcoin payment directly. I'm going to send that Ethereum directly, or I'm going to send this asset to my mom directly. Like You're not competitive. And I think that's the, that is the beauty of, of this decentralization movement. I appreciate that and sharing everything with us today. And let's uh, leave off there and you know, let everyone who's listening here know where is the best way they could reach you or learn more about the project. Yeah, well, pantherprotocol.io is the website. We have a Telegram and Discord channel. ZK Panther is our Twitter handle and the link to Discord is there as well. And I'm on Twitter as well, Original Oli, Original, O-L-I-I. I'm constantly talking about Panther on there. So reach out and be happy to chat. I appreciate coming on. Thank you. Thank you. The Joe Roberts Show.